the bulletin is um, going to have some notes in it later on. So if you're a note taker, some of you are not, but if you are a note taker, there's a spot in there for you to kind of follow along and jot stuff down and uh, maybe or maybe not look at it again. But it's in there if you're a note taker. Um, I'm going to have you stand. We're going to start off with scripture right away. You're going to participate in this. Um, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the beginning of it. Um, apparently, Jesus felt like this was very important because this is very much early on in his ministry. This is very similar to Moses coming down, speaking from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And now Jesus kind of mirrors that image on the mount with something incredibly important for our lives. And so uh, this sermon series sort of roots itself right here at the beginning um, with his ministry. So as we read this together, I'm going to ask two questions of you to consider. Number one, as you read this, who is welcome? What's Jesus saying about who is welcome? And the second thing is, is, is what does this beautiful kingdom life look like? What characteristics pop up in Jesus' kingdom? So see, see if those things pop out as we read this together. Let's do this together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. We have Jesus opening wide the door right off the bat. Uh, Think about Noah's Ark. Maybe Jesus is going up to Noah's Ark and just being like, we need to make this door bigger. There's a lot more people that need to come through this door for salvation. And also, Jesus is inviting us into a different life, a different way to live. A a life that's different than just our instincts. What we kind of go to. So so if someone knocks on the door of my house... My dog automatically gets up, barks, hair goes up on the back of her. That's all instinct. Okay, I didn't train her to do that. That was all just came with the package. Okay, you get a puppy that's cute, and then you get that. Okay, <laughs> that's my dog. And so, so that's instinct. And so Jesus is saying, like, like not just your instinct, not just what you automatically do, but we're going to live differently. And so Sermon on the Mount opens this up. And just like a coach at halftime, who might, let's say you're just a, a, a few baskets down or a, a, a touchdown um, behind or a goal behind, and the coach is like, listen, team, this is the one thing we got to get right. Okay, maybe the, the coach has a list. These are the three things we need to get right. Well, on Jesus' list pops up anger. Anger is like the first thing on his list, uh, and that's what we're going over today. But right after the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, um, we get the beginning that we read together, and then Jesus says, Let's talk about your anger. And I think the faith question for us, wherever you are in your faith, does, can Jesus silence the anger in your life? That's the question for us this morning. Can Jesus silence the anger that sometimes is out loud, but sometimes it's in tight, right to our heart or in our mind? So can Jesus silence that? Would you pray with me as we get started this morning? 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this faith community. We gather around and, and we encourage one another. We come and we sing and we sing. Uh, we listen to one another. We come and we, we recite scripture. And sometimes we're just quiet and we hear it. And Lord, would you reach into our lives and our heart with your spirit, with these songs, with these scriptures. Lord, allow me to um, honor you in what I say. And may, may the words um, fall deeply in our lives. And may your spirit touch and talk to every person in here, Lord. May our faith be stronger. May, may the anger be less and the joy be more as we walk out of here this morning. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, um, Pastor Brian started a couple weeks ago with the, the beautiful kingdom life and, and gave us some ideas of what that looks like. I, for me, I needed to put this in my own words. And so um, I think it's interesting that Jesus um, kept referring to the kingdom is near, the kingdom is near so many times in Scripture. In fact, Matthew writes it down five, 55 times in Matthew. So you can tell that it's an important concept that Jesus is trying to get across if it's in there 55 times. This kingdom is near. So I, I needed to just think through this week, what does that mean to me in my life? And this is what I came up with. Um, yours might be different. I, I, there's a spot in your bulletin if you want to jot something else down. But for me, it's in step with Jesus. Second would be invest in others. Uh, make others a little bit more important than me. Um, I, I'm here to get something done, accomplished. Um, not just here to consume. Okay, so invest in others. Peace with me. I think everyone is different on this, but are you at peace with who God made you to be? Because we, I think we all should get comfortable in our skin, but what happens if you don't like your skin? And so, like you as a person, I think that's a journey that we're probably all on. How do we make peace with who God made us to be? And lastly, uh, a little less anger and more joy each day. Can I make it? Um, this would be, I think, the definition for, for Dustin's beautiful kingdom of life as I look at scripture. And so I wanted to hold this up as, as sort of my goal or something I want to hold ahead of me in why I do what I do, why I live the way I live. And in the middle of that, um, I would say that um, every, every March, we have uh, March Madness, uh, basketball. And so if you're a basketball fan at all, you might be aware that there's a bracket. Okay, there's a bracket that you sort of fill out to figure out how you might guess or do. Okay, and when you fill this thing out, you think that you probably have it right. Like you probably guessed all the games correctly. Um, and I know around our house we like to keep tra track of it and figure out how we did. But there's always a bracket buster. Bracket busters are teams that do way better than they were supposed to. They, they're kind of this, this unknown and they creep in there and they, they bust your bracket apart and you don't guess right, and you don't have your bracket work out the way you want. So I would say that in our lives, the bracket was my own personal goals for this beautiful kingdom at the beginning, but there's busters that come in. There's all kinds of busters that break that up. Uh, just to name a few, um, and you probably have a top two or three in your life, but jealousy, bitterness, worry, all kinds of things that can come in. Maybe no time for God, no time for scripture, no time for prayer. Addiction is going to work itself in there. You hate yourself. Pursuit of just stuff. And then Jesus says, oh, hey, what about anger? What about anger? Anger can be a sure bracket buster. Can blow this thing apart and you miss out on the kingdom of God. Why does he throw down anger as the first thing on his list? 
because I think he knows us well. And I think he's quick to point out things that we might be missing in our life that we need to work on. So I, w- I want to start with Matthew 5. This was the, the verses that we had shot out this week in our email um, as far as what we were going to look at today. And I want you to imagine yourself there with Jesus as he goes through this. We just did the Sermon on the Mount piece, and he's still doing the Sermon on the Mount, and now he's going to anger. So just think through being there. Verse 21, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Judgment in the sense of in trouble. Bram, you know, come before the community or the courts. Um, You're in a heap of trouble. You messed up. Okay, at this point, you're probably like, man, good thing Jesus isn't talking to me because I didn't kill anyone. Right? So you're like, okay, I'm checked out. Maybe the next thing, which happens to be temptation, um, we'll go over that next week. And um, may- maybe the next thing is important to me, but right now, I didn't kill anyone, so I'm good. And Jesus has a lot to say about your attitude in that moment. Because Jesus is saying, listen, I know you're thinking about the last act of anger, I want you to think about the whole process of getting to that last act because you might be there. That's what Jesus does. He, he says, I understand that you want to know what you can and can't do, but I want to talk about your heart and your mind. I want to talk about the process. I want to talk about what we do that follows God, that's in step with God, that God desires in our life. So, so I, love, I love my wife, but if tomorrow I said I'm out, like I'm done, and, and I left. Let's say I left. Tomorrow would be the day that I left her, but I may have left her a year ago in my head and heart. And that, Jesus is talking about that. Okay, there's this process. There's this churning of anger that gets into our lives. And Jesus is saying, oh, hey, Dustin, hey, here we go. You ready? But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. The same consequence as the first verse there. The same thing brought in, in trouble going to have some consequences if you call someone an idiot you cut them down you are in danger of being brought before the court again the same consequence and if you curse someone wish them ill wish them the worst you are in danger of the fires of hell because in that moment you are not you are not acting on God's behalf you're acting on Satan's behalf you are not creating love in this world you are creating evil in this world So if we're honest and we say, okay, God, what anger do I have toward others? What anger do I have toward you? What anger do I have toward myself? That's where Jesus wants us to get with the Sermon on the Mount. And probably says that we're all included. And we all have something to hand over to God this morning. We often approach our bracket, uh, the, the goals of our lives. With, with, okay, God, tell me what I can and can't do. Be real specific, and then I won't do that thing. Uh, questions like, um, well, can I, can I, what's really cheating on my taxes? What's really ethical for business? What can I exaggerate and what can I? Is that little white lie really a big deal? God's talking about our heart and our head and surrender. So this is a quote by Francis Chan. I'm going to use it this week and next week. Um, for sure goes together with next week on the topic of temptation, but I really think that it, it nails anger as well. Let me go through this. In essence, we want to know what God will tolerate rather than what he desires. Maybe we are afraid to ask what will bring him the most pleasure 
ignorance feels better than disobedience. Ignorant of my anger feels better than actually having to deal with it. So I was traveling this past week. I, I had a pastor's conference on Wednesday down in D.C., and I was down Tuesday late afternoon in D.C., and I was traveling around the Beltway, got on the Dulles Thruway, and um, as you can imagine, it was like 6 o'clock. So you can imagine what traffic was like, right? And so I'm cruising along in my little Honda, and um, there's four lanes of traffic that are going pretty slow to the right, but my lane is the fifth lane, and it's cruising. It's going pretty well. Like, we're, I'm saying we're going 45, 50, a little stop and go, but the other four lanes are like 20, 25. And I'm feeling pretty happy. I got the music on and the window's down. It's a nice day. And, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm so smart for being in this lane. And, and I'm thinking, I know that there's like HOV lanes in that area, but, but there's two other lanes to my left. And, and I, I was thinking those were HOV lanes, and they're actually the lanes that take you right to Dulles Airport. Um, so I was wrong, but I thought I was right. And so I'm cruising along, and I'm thinking, why aren't more people in my lane? And why does everyone in my lane have more than one person in their car? <laughs> and so, so then I'm like, you know, I should probably, like, check back to reality and, like, look at a sign. That probably would be what my next step is. So I did, and, and the sign said HOV, 2 plus on it, um, 4 to 6.30. It happened to be 6 o'clock. There was no wiggle room here, people. I was stuck. I, like, I had to make the decision then and there. Do I just risk it and ignore the law, or do I check myself, get into the four lanes that are slow to the right, which is what I did, which was the right thing to do. It was a hard road to take, but I needed to take it. So that I was right with Virginia law. It's so not fun to take the hard road. It's so not fun to check out of the easy road um, when we just kind of maybe let our temper take over and, and let our anger just sort of go. It's so hard to keep it in check or, or to address it or to think through it. But it is definitely the right thing. Ignorance feels better than disobedience. And so it's hard for me to give you a list of right or wrong things. You can do this and you can't do this. And that's why Jesus says, you know, it's just a heart and a head issue. And, and, And there can be more love and less anger in your life if you allow me in. And that's part of this kingdom of God. This is, it's part of the beautiful life that I'm calling you into. So I want to just tear apart just the idea of anger for a little bit. Maybe take a little bit of air out of the balloon of anger for you. So I, I would say there's two types of anger. Uh, number one would be the short fuse visceral. Um, any redheads with a temper in here? I mean, you guys are like the, the you're the spokesperson for this group, um, or at least we've said you are. Um, but, but all of us are, can, know we can go into a situation, someone can push our buttons, and we can get there. Okay, this short fuse, I'm angry now in this moment. You feel the emotion, you feel the blood starting to boil, you know what I mean. If you've ever had kids, they're awesome at finding this spot in your life. Okay, they're so good at it. Maybe it's why God gave them to us, I don't know. They're so good. And so this is definitely one of the parts of anger. But this second piece, I think Jesus is probably calling out in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's just this chronic ongoing, when you're just meditating on the anger. And sometimes you realize it, and sometimes you might not. Can, can a Sunday school teacher who has served Manheim BIC for 40 years, has the best class um, out of any class, can they have this second chronic 
meditative anger. Yeah, all of us can. I think they could walk in the room and be like, like nobody serves this church like I do. I don't, nobody can teach like I do. These kids are all messed up. No one can parent like I do. Like you can, you can have that same anger that just sits and brews no matter where you're at on the faith spectrum. Um, the prodigal son story. So the foundry, which is the post high, they actually were going through this chapter today, which I thought was so funny. Um, but the prodigal son story is about anger, period. It is so much about anger, and you got to see that. So the younger son is so angry at his dad, he goes and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me your inheritance now, which is completely disrespectful in their culture. Should never do it. And the dad gives the inheritance. So, so the son is angry. The son leaves the house angry. Probably the only son ever in history to do that. We usually don't leave our parents' houses angry, do we? Okay, the son leaves angry, so angry, and lives a life of anger. And we see what the result is. But the older son is angry too. It's a little different anger, but it's total anger. Anger toward his brother, anger toward his dad. And so we have this story of total anger and evil. And then you have the dad who, spoke, who should be angry, should be. Treated terrible, and that's God. And we get this open arms, listen, son, I love you. I'm so glad you're home. We get this rock of love in the middle of this story about anger. Deep grumbling. I love this this little piece that's throughout the Old Testament. It talks about the Hebrews wandering in the desert. They got stuck again and again in their deep grumbling. What's Jesus inviting you to? He's inviting you to the beautiful kingdom living. Why do I go to church on Sunday? It's because sometimes my weeks look like that. Why do, why do I stop and pray or open up scripture? Because sometimes our days look like that. Why do I give? Why do I give from my income? Because sometimes my checkbook and my finances sound like that. Why do, why, do I, <clears throat> sorry, why do I serve one another? Why do I serve the church? Because sometimes our relationships can look a lot like that. And there's just this deep grumbling. Let me ask you this. What do you say when you're angry? What do you say when you're angry? Uh, maybe it could look like that. What, let, me, let me ask you this. What do you say about God when you're angry? What did the Hebrews, as they traveled around in the desert, what did they say about their God and their deep grumbling? God, you're not big enough. God, you don't know what you're doing. God, you you left us. God, you're not providing for us. Even though when we read, we, we see that God did provide for them. What do I say about God in the middle of my anger? That's a tough one. What do I say about others when I'm angry? Typically, if you're angry... The mindset is, is they're wrong and I'm right. Like, we almost make ourselves God in our anger sometimes. So what do you say about others? We certainly don't say that they're valued or important. And what do you say about yourself when you're angry? 
the book that we've been, been using as pastors um, just had this chart that I wanted to lay out for you. I thought it was helpful. So um, we say versus the beautiful kingdom life says. So we say, in our anger, I'm alone. To the right, God is near. Two totally different things. We say, I must control this situation. Beautiful kingdom life says, Jesus be king. We say, something bad is going to happen. Worst case scenario. I jump there every time. To the right, it's going to be okay. Somehow God is going to work this thing out. To the left, life must be fair, and I'm going to make it fair. You ever had that attitude? I'm going to make it fair. To the right, life is not fair. God works out justice. Lastly, I need to be perfect all the time. Jesus accepts me. So a question for you this morning is, what are you learning about anger? Now, one of the things I think is true of anger is I think there can be a positive side. I'm going to come back to that, so just hang on. But there's definitely a negative side that, that sucks us in so fast and sneaks in on us. So here's what I'm learning about my anger. Number one, anger is real sin. Anger really does separate me from God, which is the definition of sin. It separates me from others. It separates me from important people, like people that are important to me. Family, close people, close friends, coworkers, it quickly separates me. It, it, it gives me this feeling of rightness that's probably wrong, if you follow that. Um, and um, I quickly, quickly disown it. I think maturity in life is probably understanding your anger and owning it. I think immaturity looks like I disown it. That's someone else's problem. That's someone else's issue. Okay, if you've had kids, have you ever heard this phrase, you make me so mad? Maybe common, maybe common. Or, or, well, I wouldn't have hit my sister if she didn't make me so mad. That's a common one as well. Okay, we so quickly blame another party for the anger that's happening in us. So road rage, okay, great example of a situation where we're blaming their driving on my anger and... And I really want to be God in this moment and tell them how wrong they are and how right I am. Because I'm an awesome driver and they aren't. That's road rage at the core. Um, I think think it's a hard maturing lesson that God has us on. When we start to own our anger, stop disowning it and saying, you know, um, wow, I really got angry in that situation. Or I'm still holding on to some anger that's killing me. That joy is not in there. Love is not in there. This anger has a grip on me. So the second thing that I feel like I'm learning is I'm trying to call out anger at circumstances because I think it's the real deal. I think it's really something that a lot of us struggle with, um, and it's just hard to identify sometimes. So maybe this is just Dustin's sin here, but just hear me out. Maybe you'll connect, maybe you won't. But, but anger when you're staring at your checkbook. Anger when you're staring at the credit card statement. Anger at staring at the car that won't start. So um, Janelle and I had an interesting situation a long time ago, newly married. We went to a Walmart, and we, um, we wanted to get our photos developed. Uh, I, maybe you don't know what that is, but, but we wanted photos <laughs> developed, and, and we wanted our oil changed. So Walmart was the place to do it, right? So we, we, we got 
we finished up with the film, and we came out, and we look at, we had a Jeep Cherokee at the time. We look at the Jeep Cherokee, and there's fire dropping out of the bottom of the, the car, like sparks and hot molten lava just pouring out of the bottom of our Jeep. And in that moment, you don't know whether to be angry or sad or laugh. We got through it. We got through it. Okay? We, we got a fire extinguisher and some help, and we got through it, and, and things got fixed. Um, but some life circumstances run deeper than that. Like, we were able to fix that and move on. Some things, like, don't let you move on very quickly. Um, Janelle and I, we, we went through a miscarriage together. And, and I think you're supposed to be sad, but I was just mad. And, and those things can hang on to you longer than your, your Jeep Cherokee, you know, overheating. Uh, maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's another illness. Maybe it's betrayal. Maybe it's family drama. Maybe it's just an unhappy marriage. And you are angry because you've been dealt this and God, I'm angry at what I'm dealing with here. Exodus 16.2, there's this one phrase in the Bible I think is so interesting. And it just says this about the Hebrews were out in the desert. It says this, and there in the desert they all grumbled. Pretty simple to the point. Maybe that's the whole sermon today. There in the desert, in that life circumstances that they were in, they just went to grumbling. That's what they went to. I believe the Lord cares for us in our circumstances and he meets us there. Would I like to change some of my circumstances? For sure, for real, no doubt. But is that what God is showing up to do in our life? So I had a a friend who um, was on a speaking tour. He was a youth pastor guy. And I I went to one of his talks and he said, uh, he talked about going through some cancer treatments with their daughter. And it was, it, was a, it was a cancer that was well understood. The treatments were going to work. And um, it, it was not fun. There was no fun of it. But yet they went through the thing. And he said, I remember going on the cancer ward for the first time. And I remember meeting all the parents. And in that moment, I realized that even though I was a Christ follower, even though I believed in the power of God, that even if I did have a get-out-of-cancer-free card in my pocket, I don't think I could have used it in that moment. I don't think I could have looked at everyone else in that room and said, oh, I'm out. Like, Jesus just got me out of this whole thing. He's like, I don't think that's how faith works. It would be nice, but I think God does call us to follow him through our circumstances. Sometimes we can make changes. Sometimes we can address things. But oftentimes, we are calling on God to give us some kind of power beyond ourselves to deal with what we've been handed. And so I I go back to Jeremiah on this one. And and the book of Jeremiah is a fascinating book. I'm reading it right now because it's a hard, long book. Um, And in there, in chapter 29, a lot of people in here know uh, 2911, for I know the plans I have for you, that verse. But if you back it up just a little bit, what we have is we have Jeremiah advising the Hebrew nation, on what to do and what to believe in the moment of exile. So exile means you just got kicked out of Jerusalem. They came in and burnt this place down, and you had a terrible king at the time. And, and they've taken you to Babylon. So they've just marched you across the desert. This is the Trail of Tears in their lifetime. And Jeremiah is trying to um, be the spokesman for God in this moment. 
And so follow me here. This is terrible circumstances. They've lost a home in a foreign place under a new pagan god, Nebuchadnezzar. Thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to the whole community, which I exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. What are you supposed to do? Not run away. Not put your head in the sand. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons. Like plan on being there. Plan on being there and being a part of where I'm taking you. And give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city to which I have exiled you. Like wish them well. This is not fun. Wish them well. Pray for them to the Lord on its behalf. For in its prosperity, you shall also prosper. I'm placing you in a very not fun situation. But I am going to be with you. And I'm saying, let's prosper. I'm, I'm saying, let's put some roots down. And let's find the joy of the Lord in this moment. Isn't it remarkable that he instructs them to go ahead and embrace this new environment, which they did not want to do. So is my anger toward my circumstances justified? These guys had a lot of reason to be angry. And Jeremiah is saying, no. Now, was Jesus ever angry? Was Jesus ever angry? We know that Jesus was without sin, but we also know that there was a few moments of anger. So that means anger does not equate sin totally. One of the times was not on the cross when we think he probably should have been angry, when he was accused of everything he didn't do, when he was whipped, spat on, stripped down, when he was treated like a slave. He didn't deserve any of that. Should have been angry, wasn't. The two times were when it mattered in the welfare of someone else. And that's where we see the Lord's anger come through. In the first, he healed someone on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees gathered around and said, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. And he said, no. What God desires, what God desires is this person to live a new life and allowed me to heal this person in this moment. And if it happens on the Sabbath, it happens on the Sabbath. They didn't understand. They didn't understand what Jesus was all about, what this kingdom was all about. And the second time was going to be obviously the one that we probably know the most, and that's the money changers in the temple. His anger burned. His anger burned for people that wanted to come to worship and couldn't or got cheated. And the whole point of worship was lost in this marketplace of a temple. And so his anger burned in that moment. So righteous anger, you could call it. Yes, Jesus had angry moments. He kept them on check. And when he did exercise that anger card, he did it for the welfare of someone else. Again and again and again. So I put in the, um, the bulletin like targets of righteous anger. You probably have two or three. You probably have things that are near to your heart that you would love to do something about or be a part of world change in some way. Um, a, a, a pastor put it this way, the parable of the beaten man and the good Samaritan, if you have that in your head, okay? Um, maybe you're a nurse and you're called to tend the wounds of the man on the road. 
Or maybe you're an electrician and you're called to wire up some lights to keep the road a little more safe. Or maybe you're going to lead a neighborhood watch so we can help a lot less people get beaten up on this road. Maybe you're an officer who's going to patrol the road. Either way, you're using some of that anger toward injustice to fuel a change in this world, something that benefits others. And so righteous anger can be something in our lives, something that Jesus is in and a part of. But be careful. It can quickly lead to, I'm God, I'm right, and everyone's wrong, and now I have a chip on my shoulder. Worship team can come on up. We're going to end with a video that I think kind of, for me, visually captures circumstances that stink. Circumstances that are less than ideal. And, and whatever that is in your life, I, I believe that the Spirit of God can, can, can bring that up as you just watch the video. And on top of the video, there's just Scripture, and that's it. So I encourage you to read along with that. As God works in your life, first of all, to, to, name, to name the anger that's there, to understand it a little bit, or at least take some hot air out of it, but at the same time, claim the kingdom. Claim the beautiful kingdom life. Claim what Jesus is inviting you into. And so here at the end, it's just a time for you and God. But I'll warn you, when you leave, it may be a time for you and your Bible. It may be a time for you in prayer. It may be a time for you and someone else who you need to talk to. But today, I I feel like we could leave with less anger, leave it behind, and more joy as we leave. So I call you into this time um, of, of meditation with this video. After the video, um, we're going to go to two songs, and I, and I ask that during those two songs, if you do want to come up at all once we're standing to pray up front, feel free. There'll be a prayer team up front. If that's what you need, that'll be open, and then I'll close with a benediction at the end.